You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Today's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I wasn't really expecting this. Tavish had sent me a text message yesterday, and apparently I got it today. And as soon as I heard that he was free this afternoon, I said, oh, great. Marty's free this afternoon, and the stars have aligned, and the two of you are here. How are the two of you today? After you, Tavish. What? (laughs) And many happy returns to you, Marty. Always a pleasure. No, sir. No, ah, yes, it's good to hear, hear your voice again. It, it's um, it's the kind of voice that I I would aspire to um in um in later life. It, it's got it's got gravel, it's got grit, it's got years of experience behind it, and I, I can just tell that you would be a great storyteller. I'm buttering you up a bit here, but um, I was going to say, yeah. what, do you want him to buy you a new car or what is it? <laughs> Could he? Because I need one of those electric ones because I'm not going to be permitted to have a petrol or diesel right. one by 20, right. 2030. So um, if you wouldn't mind, that would be lovely. Yeah, just sure, uh, Tavish, get a you Kickstarter just, campaign started for you. Actually, you don't have to do that. Just send him some Bitcoin and he can buy a Tesla. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the rumors of Bitcoin is going to be 400,000 next year. So mm-hmm. yeah, if it's well, not each one. Yeah, for one Bitcoin. Yeah. Really? That, That's wow. the rumor. Yeah. Have you got any? Lenders one. <laughs> yeah let's um all right so we, we're we're on a, a very tight time schedule today so we are gonna have to go bruce it's good to see you how are you as you catch me taking a drink of my tea um, he waited deliberately for that he yeah. did yeah i yeah. was watching yeah, I do yeah it's like a it's like a waitress at a restaurant she waits till you, your mouth is full before coming over and asking it's you how, latency I, I blame latency right i i want i want starlink <laughs> we'll fix that right up yeah we get five and six yeah, g we don't have any latency we don't have to worry about that that's true all right. Um, I'm not going to waste any time. The buildup in Russia at the moment on the western border of uh, uh, Russia with Ukraine. That's what we're going to focus around today, because a lot has happened in the last few hours and a lot more is happening as things are. I mean, like things are coming in right now as we're reviewing all of this. So this is happening fast. We've been screaming about a Russian buildup for how long now, Bruce? How, how long has it been? We, we even we talked yeah, on it last been... week when you were on Marnie, but I mean, it was before that. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of weeks, really. Um, but, you know, this is this is uh, obviously according to the, the, the White House and um, our press here. This was um, a quick action. It was it was not they, they didn't see it coming. They, right. They were, they were right. They blindsided by it. Yeah, completely blindsided. They, they don't know where it came from. It's just out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, things are uh, things like I said, things are moving fast. So I want to start with uh, what happened this morning. Supposedly, we don't have actual confirmation of this. We don't know. But supposedly, and this was put out by the White House. So it, I mean, if they say it, it must be true, right? Joe Biden, President Biden, <clears throat> spoke with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And he said the following, President Joe Biden spoke with Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany. The two leaders underscored. Now, to be honest with you, if this is a summary of that conversation, not a whole lot was accomplished. The two leaders underscored their strong commitment to the transatlantic relationship and pledged to continue working closely together on shared priorities, including combating COVID-19. They had to work that one in there. Strengthening global health security and addressing the climate crisis that doesn't exist. The leaders expressed concern about the buildup of Russian troops on Ukraine borders and in occupied Crimea and reaffirmed their support for the Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. The president thanked the chancellor for Germany's contributions to NATO, which has been what exactly? 2%? Uh, Just throwing that out there. Uh, And their resolute support mission in Afghanistan. And the two leaders agreed to continue supporting efforts to bring peace to Afghanistan. So they really got a lot accomplished. Uh, That's a a great start to the day uh, when you have I don't know, a couple hundred thousand troops, uh, Russian troops on Ukraine's border. That, I mean, that's a good start to the day, right? Well, I said the other night when I was on that no one's really got the stomach for this. So this kind of saber rattling, it's like uh, when you're in a bar 
and you, you're surrounded by your buddies and you get put in your place by somebody bigger than you and then you're shouting and screaming hold me back hold me back and and that's that's what's basically happening i think there's mm. there's no way there's no way this is going to go to go go to any kind of conflict other than between russia and the ukraine I, and do you know what even if it had been the donster still in the white house i still don't think there would have been any real attempt to stop putin doing what he's doing and do you know what i don't even blame him to, to a certain degree, um, you look at the either planning of COVID, all the things that are happening as a result to you know to to the elite's bank balances, um, and they're taking advantage of it. They're taking advantage of an opportunity, and that's what we hear from the World Economic Forum, isn't it? It would be so good to use everything we have learned from COVID to uh improve uh our lives and yeah it's he's just being opportunistic mm. while the rest of the world is busy dealing with the pandemic um he's sorting his housekeeping out yeah uh but see that's that's the thing you you're, you're talking you're making references there to uh you know being in a pub or you know making an analogy there to being in a pub and your mate saying oh hold me back hold me back when he's not actually doing anything well the u.s state department decided that they were going to summon in their counterparts in the following nations france germany italy and the uk so again we're all in this together aren't we those are the main leaders of nato minus the canadians uh i would i would argue so uh, they all got together and this was a uh this was put out by the u.s state department this morning uh and i got a copy of this it's put out by them so it's not anything it's classified or anything they're perfectly public about it anyone can go and look at it it says for immediate release secretary blinken's meeting with french german italian and uk counterparts secretary of state anthony j blinken met with his counterparts from france germany italy and the united kingdom today in brussels belgium i guess they had to pick a you know a neutral point to meet at they reaffirmed their support for ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity and commended ukraine's restraint in the face of russian provocations including its military buildup inflammatory rhetoric and increasing attacks at the line of contact. They emphasized the need for Russia to immediately de-escalate tensions with Ukraine, and they also discussed other shared priorities and challenges, including Afghanistan, Iran, and Yemen. There's a bit of um, talking about saber-rattling and, uh, you know, kind of hold me back, hold me back. Um, Putin was saying that um, they, they would take decisive action if the U.S. put new sanctions down. Um, here a couple... Uh, a couple hours ago, there was an article sanctions. out of um, New York Times. Uh, we put more sanctions on them uh, as the U.S. Um, they're also Crimea. We were talking about off recording. Crimea is actually in a water crisis. Um, that is confirmed. Um, I, I was able to find that they are low and um, they, they cut off like 90 percent of um, the, the, the fresh water there. And they're spending billions of rubles to... Um, try to get fresh water there, if you will. Um, yeah. So and the, um, the report on that, yeah, the, and the report on that, to that point right there, to the Russian ruble, the ruble collapsed this morning on rumors of sanctions. So this morning at opening, the ruble was at 92,000. And by this afternoon, it was down to 77. So that's lost quite a bit of value just in the, in the last few hours uh, due to the sanctions. That was before the sanctions. And 30, I want to say 32. Let me double check on that. How many sanctions did they put on them? 32. 32. They put 32 sanctions on them. Biden has done an about face on Black Sea deployment. So he's canceled the deployment of two warships that were headed to the Black Sea, uh, threatening repercussions over troop buildup on the Ukraine border. New sanctions, 32 new, uh, 32 new sanctions. Uh, and declaring a national security emergency over Russia. Uh, the Crimean parliament, in response to the new sanctions, said that Americans are acting helpless and that they no longer know what they're doing, meaning the U.S. has pretty much lost its grip. Well, it has, if you were to look at the sorry disgrace of uh, politicians we have in Washington right now. They said that this is just an indicator of the helplessness of a country that considers itself being the hegemon. Real quick, the, the, the Biden administration is saying that this is all uh, revolves around the solar winds hacks. They're, they're blaming Russia for, the, for that. Same thing with January 6th. Adam Schiff's out today saying that uh, Russia interfered in the 2020 election. Somehow, somehow that was that wasn't a point up until today. 
And then, of course, they're somehow responsible for January 6th now. That's just come out of nowhere. Anyway, all right. Tavish, I want to I want to get your opinion on this. What what are your thoughts on this? As far as I, I believe what it is, is the fact that no one has stood up to Russia before, whether it was Crimea, Ukraine, the downing of the airliner. So there's been no real uh, backstop. There's been no real um, reason for the Russians to go, hey, why should we stop? They're not going to do anything. So it's it's the appeasement value to me. Uh, what uh, happened during World War II? No one really stood up to Hitler. And look where that got us. And I kind of see a few similarities with the same thing with what Russia's doing. They take a step. No one does anything. They take another step. No one does anything. And they're like, well, hey, let's take one big step. And they, you know, they went into Ukraine. Now they're massing on the border. And what little I have seen, and granted, when we were training, it was against the Soviet Union. But the equipment and the TONE, I believe, is still somewhat similar. So I'm seeing from the photos, it's going to be at least several divisions, whether armored or mechanized, that they've moved to the border. And as if I remember correctly, the Ukraine primarily uses Russian equipment. I'm, I don't know how much modern Western military equipment they have, but mostly from what I've seen, it is uh, Soviet era equipment. So I would definitely give the edge to the Soviets, only because it, Ukraine has the older equipment, they have less personnel, less money for training, and their military is not that big to begin with. So in terms of this, unless the West is willing to step in and get into Ukraine, if Russia really wants to do something, I don't see anybody stopping them. You know, they, I mean, politicians sure haven't done anything about it. So God bless the little guys on the ground in the boots and the rifles, but they're in really sad shape if something hits the fan. Yeah, um, Tavish is right. If Russia is attacking across the border, it needs around about four to one odds. So they will be moving as many troops forward as possible. Um, because it's always harder to attack than it is to defend. The kind of country that we're looking at, the terrain, leaves itself wide open to the use of heavy armoured divisions. So tanks, I believe the Battle of Kursk was the biggest ever tank battle ever fought during Second World War. And Kursk is right there in Ukraine. So we're, we're looking at prime tank battle terrain. And yeah, They've got the old kit. The Russians never throw anything away. I've said this before. If they get a new tank, a new aircraft, they just create a new regiment. So their military gets bigger and bigger. But they have got lots of old and obsolescent equipment as well. But that won't matter when it's all rolling forward together. Now, I, I think the Ukraine is about to become part of Russia very, very quickly. If I may uh, add something to that. Absolutely. Go right ahead. Marty is correct on that. Uh, minimum, I believe it used to be three to one, and I believe it's now four to one because of the uh, increase in lethality of modern military equipment. One of the best signs you're going to see that the balloon's about to go up when you see Russian artillery staying directly on the border with Ukraine or be just behind the line of contact. Because if you're going to attack, your artillery is going to be right behind that front line so they can fire deep into enemy territory. And let's face it, between the MRLs and everything else the Russians have, they can bring a heavy rain of fire down on the Ukrainians. And as Marty said, a lot of the terrain is wide open territory. Perfect for maneuver, fire and maneuver, tank battalions, mechanized battalions. Um, and when you look at the comparison between the Ukrainian and Russian military, it's definitely on the Russian side. So that'll be a good indicator if you see artillery units just behind the front lines. That tells me that they're ready to go and just waiting for someone to flip a switch. I've got nothing else to add to that. Nothing it's it's going to be a no. Well, you know, big artillery, usually uh, self-propelled these days, um, anything from uh, 155 millimeters all the way up to 270 millimeter artillery pieces, as well as ballistic missiles as well. So conventional warheads, but ballistic missiles. And those defensive positions, they, they don't stand much of a chance, especially if you can bring all of your weapons to bear on it. So you've got, you know, mechanized infantry, you've got your um, armored divisions, you've got artillery, and you've got air power as well. The Ukrainians don't stand much of a chance. If I was there now, I'd be strongly recommending surrendering. Uh, before you say that, uh, I got a couple of things. Like I said, things are coming in as we speak. Uh, and this is, uh, okay. Um, I, I, am trying to weigh this one because this is, this is heavy. Uh, so I'm going to do this in order. The UK has just summoned the Russian ambassador. Poland 
has just summoned their Russian ambassador. I'm not quite sure. I would love to be a fly on the wall in uh, in those places. The U.S. has expelled the Russian diplomats, so they're on planes to leave. Biden is set to deliver a speech on Russia at approximately 4.30 p.m. Eastern time today. So just a little over, uh, what time is there? Uh, 2.30, 2, yeah, 2.30 now. So just, just a little under two hours, uh, he's going to be giving a speech. This is also just breaking. Uh, and we're in the process now of trying, I'm in the process now of trying to confirm this. Ukraine is considering equipping itself with, are you sitting down? Yeah, you're sitting down. Ukraine is considering equipping itself with nuclear weapons if the Eastern European country does not become a member of NATO. The Ukrainian envoy to Germany said just today. Well, these programs to equip yourself with nuclear weapons take a great deal of time. Yeah. But the Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union. There were probably nuclear weapons still inside Ukraine as the Soviet Union collapsed. So there is a strong possibility that they may well still have some. So there isn't going to be time for it to become part of NATO unless someone waves a magic wand and says, ipso facto, Ukrainio NATO, and makes them part of NATO immediately, which, which of course should change Putin's mind. But that's not going to happen. And he is going to press forward. He's going to strike while the iron is hot. And um, we've only got ourselves to blame because, as you quite rightly said, the rest of Europe that are part of NATO haven't been committing the GDP that they're supposed to be committing to defence as part of their commitment to NATO. They've been winding that down and all the time ramping up this idea of a European army, which, again, hasn't come into existence, but that's all the talk was about. And if that European army had have stood up, then it would have been right on the border there, wouldn't it, um, with, with Ukraine. And Ukraine is also wanting to be a member of the European Union. So I, th- I think basically it's all a case of bad timing for Ukraine. And, um, and I'm sorry, they don't stand a chance. Yeah, well, I also think that there's something else in play there as far as like Zelensky, but I'll get into that here in just a minute. Tavich, did you want to say something on the uh, uh, the deal there about uh, NATO and the, the nuclear weapons? Well, as Marty brought up, um, back when it was part of the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union kept a lot of what they call tactical nukes. Some people would call them uh, suitcase nuclear weapons. They were designed for area deniability. Take out a major bridge, a major rail junction, a major highway junction, small yield, but if the uh, affected area would be devastated. So they would be used to deny tactical avenues of approach to the enemy. You see them coming across, you drop a couple tactical nukes, now the enemy has to detour around depending on their um, capability to handle radiation and whatnot. Now, would they be willing to use it on their own land if they got pushed far enough? Possibly. How many do they have left? I'm not sure, because at one time there was a program the U.S. uh, had out there to help smaller former Soviet countries remove nuclear material and weapons from their territories and dispose of them. I did not hear that Ukraine was part of that program, but some of the uh, smaller ones, uh, Tajikistan, so on and so forth, um, smaller countries like that, Estonia, Lithuania, they were part of that program to get those nuclear material and weapons off their territory. How many are left in Ukrainian possession? I don't know. But while it could be a game changer, I don't see it being the end-all and be-all to stop a Russian advance. Like Marty was saying, if the Russians really wanted to take the Ukraine, the only way to stop it is if all of Europe and NATO went into the Ukraine. And I just don't see the political will or colonies among the world leaders to do that. I suppose we should be thankful for that, really, because that would expand into an enormous war. But at the same time, just like Britons of a certain age, and there are very few of them, uh, one just passed recently, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, they still used to hold a lot of guilt about what happened to Poland after the war, because Poland stood by us, Polish fighters fought on, on the Allied side during the war, pilots, parachute regiments, and we basically let Russia have Poland after, the, after the, the Second World War and the Czech Republic, yeah. And I I feel guilt about Ukraine, who um, are trying to stand alone. I don't think anyone denies that the, the coming down of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Soviet Union was a good thing because so many people were living under severe oppression and desperate to not be part of this communist setup. 
So I feel I feel a little bit of guilt um, on behalf of the the rest of the world, uh, NATO, Europe, for the people of Ukraine who are very nationalistic and probably will you know fight the last man, and it, it's going to be horrible. So that's why I, I would advocate. Don't even bother having the fight. Let them move their troops across the borders. Let's see if those sanctions actually bite in. But what do we get from from Russia? What do we buy from Russia? We buy oil. oil, We buy gas. Yeah. We buy online gaming and gambling from Russia. I don't. No, I don't either. But an awful lot of people do. And um, vodka. Yeah. uh, Obviously... Pornography is quite big in Russia. What else do they export? Hookers to Dubai. They they do that. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. They they so do and to Canada. It's, it's a big industry. Yeah. Do do we these sanctions Canada. actually hit them in the right place? Well, I, I mean, that's that's really hard to say. I mean, honestly, if you look at sanctions, though, historically, sanctions lead to war. They always do. So, I mean, sanctions are are a good way to deter, but they're also a good way to escalate. I mean, you can use them however you need to. Uh, and that's that's what they're doing here is like they're they're throwing sanctions well, yeah, on now. Yeah. And for, for what? Right. For, for what? All they're going to do is like, I mean, we, we've had the saying for the longest time. Don't poke the Russian bear. Leave him alone. Yeah, leave them alone. The Democrats in America, right, and they're running the show now. Nobody can deny that. The Democrats in America have been clamoring for a war with Russia for the last five years, and now they're going to get one. And you know what? Every single one of these people that are out there clamoring for this, this is going to come back and bite them in the ass, both politically and economically, too. Because I, I, honestly, I really don't think like, no, as you said, no one's got the stomach for this. No one does. But as Prince Charles said, we must. I can't do his accent. You do a better Prince Charles than I do. But uh, we must use all levers at our disposal because we don't have another chance at this. And I think that's what they're doing. All right. This is the next lever they're going to pull. It, it amazes me that these people that are clamoring for war with Russia have no idea. Well, it doesn't amaze me. It just disgusts me. They have no idea what war really is. And it's not just going to bite them in the ass. It's going to bite the entire planet in the ass if major full-scale war breaks out in Ukraine. It's not going to be... It's <laughs> To paraphrase Klaus, it will make it seem like a small disturbance. So, yeah, we just have... To, we, what choice have we got? We, we, we've got no option to, to take a vote uh, and, and say, no, don't do this. Well, people are not... It, it's not I, I see what you're saying there, but here's the other aspect to this. No one's being told about this. No one. The, the populations, the, the, the native populations of Europe, they're being kept in the dark on this. The only reason that we're actually seeing this is because we're digging into this stuff every day. The people that are listening to us, they know what's going on, but the, the average populace has no clue. There is nothing in, in the press here, nothing in the mainstream, the German mainstream press. I'm, I'm watching it. There's nothing here about what's going on with Russia. This is breaking. This just broke out of Poland. Uh, it, it's in Polish, so bear with me. Three employees of the embassy of the Russian Federation in Warsaw were just expelled. The basis for acting under the conditions obtained under the diplomatic status and carrying out activities to the detriment of the Republic of Poland, according to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Not surprising because historically, embassies have always been used, yes, for peaceful means, but also as forward operating posts. Intelligence agents, coordination of special forces operating behind enemy lines. So that's always been going on. And I believe Carl uh, Carl von Clausewitz said it best, war is a pursuit by other means. And right now the Russians go, they look at the West, they're not going to do anything. Like you said, no one seems to have the stomach for it. So it's going to come down to those pimply-faced 18-year-olds in, with boots on the ground that are going to pay the final price. The younger versions of uh, you and me, Marty. That's yeah. going to get really whacked. And no one else really seems, yeah, yes, I understand the purpose of the military, but it's also the responsibility of our political leaders. They want our loyalty. Well, it's a two-way street. You have to show loyalty to us. We're not bargaining chips to be expended like at a poker table. This is real shit, folks. And a lot of people, like you said, Johnny, have no idea. The only reason I've been keeping up with it for the last week or so is on YouTube, I've seen a lot of independent news videos from Ukraine or Europe. That's how I found out about it. But like you said, there's been nothing in the mainstream. So no one has a connection to this except the Ukrainians and the Russians. Everybody else is like, oh, well, that's such a bad thing. We really should do something about it. It's like, really? That's all you guys got? And now with the sanctions? Yeah. 
they may work, but also, like you said, is this a tripwire that's going to force the Russian hand? If they have, think they have nothing left to lose, they're going to go for it. Well, that was the premise on on why you and I had to train during the the 60s, 70s, and 80s to to stop the the third shock army pushing west when the when the Russian harvest failed. Um, we had to be there ready for that, ready for that situation. In peacetime, children bury their parents. In wartime, parents bury their children. And who was it who said, carry a big stick, talk softly, but carry a big stick? That was one of your lot, wasn't it? Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the, the Romans or Greeks that said, if you want peace, prepare for war. And, you know, if you've if your politicians have done their job properly, you should have a strong defence, but never need to use it. And our politicians cannot seem to do a damn thing right on both sides of the political divide. And globally, politicians just do not seem to be able to maintain peace. We had the First World War supposedly the Great War, the war to end all wars, and then around about 30 years later, up rocks World War II. Since then, we've been avoiding World War III, but there have been flare-ups of quite large scale all over the world ever since. The world hasn't known peace for a very, very, very long time. And that's largely due to failures of politicians, not because, you know, the people have decided to suddenly flex their shoulders and move over the border, although that's happening in the US sort of fairly regularly at the moment and here from the Middle East and North Africa across on small boats. But no, it's the failure of politicians to do their job properly, to employ diplomacy and to to make a deal. And maybe that's why Trump had to go. There's a man, he's a businessman, he knows how to make a deal. He had to go because that's what he was doing. He was making deals. He was getting somewhere with a people that, or sorry, countries, that there'd been tension and, and friction between. So um, I've run out of things to say now, so well, after you. Yeah, I, I think I think that um, I think you're right in that respect. That yeah, Trump had to go, and this is where I want to play in uh, uh, Zelensky. Uh, this is the prime minister, or president, wh- whichever one they have. I think it's prime minister of uh, the Ukraine. He was essentially like the Donald Trump of Ukraine. Now here's the here's the thing. He was an anti-corruption guy, ran on wanting to clean out all the corruption in the Ukraine. So guess what? He doesn't fit. He doesn't fit. So a couple of things here. You're talking about how the politicians don't have the wherewithal to go through and and talk things out diplomatically. Well, do they even want to in this case? I would say no. I mean, if these people in politics, as Tavish said, trust works both ways. I didn't trust these people before. I'm certainly not going to trust these people now. I want these people gone. I want these people as far away from anything having to do with politics as humanly possible. They have wrecked absolutely everything that we have stood for in a matter of months. 800 years of progress in social contracts, they have rolled back in a matter of months. So I want all these people gone. I want them gone. I want the woke corporations seized and busted up. Now, you can call that authoritarian if you want, but what are we living under because of these idiots? So I'm looking at Zelensky, right? So circle back to that, to pull Jen Psaki. I'm circling back to Zelensky here. Zelensky's got to go in the eyes of Klaus Schwab and company. And if the Russians can get their piece out of it too, okay, fine. But China also gets a sweet token out of this deal too. They get Taiwan for this, don't they? They get Taiwan and they get Hong Kong. So if what Bruce was talking about last week, if Putin and Xi got together and cooked up a deal and said, hey, wait a minute. Um, yeah, uh, if Xi says, well, we got our asses kicked in the Punjab, we got our asses kicked in the Kashmir. Uh, we're really looking bad with this uh, this this whole uh, uh, covid thing with this Wuhan situation. You got Fauci and company They're They're getting exposed. So our people over there that funded us, they're getting exposed. That's falling apart. So we really need a big old distraction here. We need to change up. We really need to take Taiwan. We really need to take Hong Kong. But we can't do that because the U.S., Japan, and Australia have an alliance to protect Taiwan. So if you can do us a solid, and if we can take the U.S. off of the chessboard, if you can tie them up in Eastern Europe with NATO and allow us to to take uh, Taiwan and, and Hong Kong, you can have the Ukraine, and we're not going to say anything about it, and we can work a sweet trade deal out of that. Now, 
that's me working things over in my head. I don't know where you guys stand on that. I'm welcome to uh, to uh, uh, rebuttals here, uh, but one at a time, go right ahead. Okay, Taiwan to China is, I think it's more a matter of, of honor. The economic side of things obviously would help, but Taiwan is quite a small island or chain of islands in comparison to mainland China. So how much actual difference does it make? It's just like, it should be ours. We want it to be ours and we're going to keep pushing and pushing. But America has got aircraft carriers in the Pacific and you've got aircraft carriers in the Atlantic. We, the UK, now have two aircraft carriers of significant size and I know that they're sailing soon, but where will they go? They wouldn't be enough to to keep Russia busy or stop Russia from in Ukraine. And I, I think it's more of a case of get Putin to test the water and see if he can get away with it. And if he does get away with it, China will follow suit. So it, it's kind of a test the way that I think that's the way the Chinese would be looking at it. I would agree with that, sir. To me, it, it's almost like whether they're working hand in hand or not, they're complementing each other. Russia's pushing to the West. China's pushing to the East. If that happens to coordinate, work out well for both of them, all the better. Another consideration is the fact that for over 20 years, at, at least in terms of the American military, we have not fought any type of major land battle. When you look over the years, it's been small forces, special operations, things like that. No major tank battles, no division on division. Um, it, it's been relatively small forces going up against the enemy. So, in fact, this just came out, I think, two months ago I was reading it, how the American military is changing their training regimen to get away from that small unit tactics and get back to the big unit tactics, whether it's tanks on tanks, mechanized versus mechanized, artillery coordination, helicopter gunships, fighter support. We haven't had a lot of experience in that. Yeah, we have a lot of combat experience, but that's primarily infantry and small units, large-scale battles. We, I can't we've think been of any able Western to do country that. that's really had it. Yeah, we, we've been able to do that by using smaller units to achieve the aims um, because of air superiority. Every battle that we fought, we've had air superiority in, in the last 30 years. We're not going to have that. In Ukraine, if if we fought in Ukraine, we would not have air superiority. We wouldn't be able to, you know, make a no-fly zone along that border simply because of, of logistics. We can't stop it. So we couldn't use smaller units to achieve our aims. We would have to go really, really large scale, like all of NATO. And that simply isn't going to happen. So, um yeah, it, it, it seems like a hopeless situation, I'm afraid. In the meantime, you've got other agendas that are being played out uh, in real time today. And I honestly, I mean, this is what Ned brought up last week. And I, I think that's what this is. This is cover for something else. They're trying to ram through other things right now as we speak. Bruce, you said Jerry Nadler's out today uh, talking about how they're going to uh, pack the court. Or in his words, uh, I believe it was unpack the court. Uh, as they say, because it's been given uh, an unfair advantage by the GOP. Uh, and so they need to add uh, more justices to the Supreme Court, uh, and they're going to work on that today. Is that correct? Yeah. So them having a 6-3 majority right now, they being the Democrats, um, it, it, you know, that's not good enough for them, they, you know, because there is a possibility that... Um, you know, the, the, they might rule in favor of the Constitution. So we can't have that. We, we've got to have them replaced. Um, uh, just real quick to, to kind of go back on what we were talking about a little bit um, there. I'm going to be a little cynical and say that these sanctions won't work at all on Russia. Um, I think Crimea and securing that and getting Ukraine under their thumb is more important. Uh, it's more profitable for them in the long run than some sanctions in the in the interim because you know as you said what do they export that we really buy from them um honestly they're they're doing deals with china um for oil exporting oil and gas to china why 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 do they need the us i mean they 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 do need oil to be uh, i believe their economy is still based on 80 uh, roughly 80 dollars a a barrel um so they're they're hurting in that sense but uh, having the the uh, what is warm water port there in in Crimea and and going back to the Syria. Soviet era, huh? Syria, the warm water ports in Syria in the Med. I thought Crimea had was considered a warm water port as well. Mm. No. Okay, it's um, pretty cold down there. But my mistake. Um, 
I didn't think they had problems with like freezing over in winter. But uh, anyway, uh, my, my mistake. Uh, either way, I, I think it's more beneficial for them to go in and start annexing land. I don't know, either going back to the, the Soviet, you know, trying to re- resurrect the Soviet uh, empire, if you will, or uh, uh, j- just honestly, I, I don't even really know what their motives would be on this one, but I, I don't see them backing down. I don't see the sanctions well, working. I don't see well, you know I, any of that. I think you just said it a moment ago. What the the real just just the threat of global or large scale conflict? It does one thing to oil prices, pushes them up. No, that's true. So even if it was just posturing and brinksmanship, it's going to achieve a financial aim for Russia because it will put gas and oil prices up and it's a bit of a diversion as well for anything else that um you know the rest of the world which i think that's why the sanctions were put in place anyway to kind of uh well they were doing these hacking and all this stuff i mean they may have but why did you choose now when russia's saber rattling to to put the sanctions on are you trying to escalate things are you trying to get uh, russia to go further i mean you could be bluffing each other and, and trying to call each other's bluff, sure, but it, it just seems it, it seems foolish in this situation. It's not very diplomatic in my, you know, perspective. You're correct. And the the diversions, it is all about the diversions. So we're looking at the left hand. We're looking at Russia and the Ukraine. That's what we're looking at. What's going on at the right hand? So what's going on at the right hand? We're talking about court packing. This is breaking. Bill Gates has stuck his head back out. Yeah, your friend, your friend, Marty Bill Gates, he stuck his head back out. He's now saying that a third vaccination is needed for the new South African variant. If this is the case, that they'll be um, pretty much uh, vaccinating at every turn now. So uh, they're saying that a third one is now necessary. So it's funny that he took today, right now, to go on CBS News and make that announcement. Uh, and Pfizer yet- saying the same thing. Sorry. Boris, Pfizer Boris saying the same, Pfizer saying the same thing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, so right there. They need to top up, right? Yet Boris, that filthy pram filling liar, he's he got lovely out. hair. He's got lovely. Hair. <laughs> Sorry, uh, he looks like, he looks like a badly stuffed scarecrow. Um, <laughs> he sounds like one too. I'm sorry. Yeah, Boris went on record on a, in in a TV interview or a statement saying he wants everyone to be aware that it's not the vaccines that have reduced the number of COVID cases. I it have that clip. The lockdowns that I have that clip. Let's, let's just play it. That, I, I have yeah. that clip. Here it is. But it is very, very important for everybody to understand that the reduction in these numbers, in hospitalizations and in deaths and in infections, has not been achieved by the vaccination program. People don't, I think, appreciate that it's the lockdown that has been overwhelmingly important in delivering this improvement in uh, in the in the uh, the pandemic and in the figures that we're seeing. And so, uh, yes, of course, the vaccination program has helped, but the bulk of the work in reducing the disease has been done by the lockdown. And you know what that means? That means more lockdowns are coming. Uh, and. I, I always get it wrong. Is it successive approximation or successive proclamation? You, you got it. Successive approximation. Yeah, you got it. Approximation. I think su- successive proclamation actually works much better because it's a proclamation that's made each time that tightens a little bit more control over the populace. So this vaccine, the, the gene therapy, and I, I'll get corrected by, I have already been corrected by people saying it's not gene therapy well, it sounds like gene therapy to me. You know, this vaccine doesn't really give you immunity, doesn't stop you um, from spreading it. So is it actually a vaccine? No, no, I don't think it is. Smallpox, the smallpox vaccine, that worked. You know, that pretty much eradicated it. What else? TB, we used to get TB jabs, that that kind of work. Measles, mumps. Uh, the, rubella yeah polio all of those things they were vaccines that actually worked so it's important every now and again for us to stress we're not anti-vaxxers we like and appreciate the advances in medical science but some things are a step too far and what is it with gates i mean how many billions are actually going to be enough to to satisfy that man why doesn't he retire why doesn't he buy a nice little fishing boat like i have spend all his money fixing it so he can get it 
out to sea and then just waste bait because I'm bound to catch nothing. But what is it? I'll tell you what it is. The sort of people who achieve that level of wealth, they're different to us. They're, They're not wired the same way. They are. I'd put them down as sociopaths. I'll go on record as saying, I think Bill Gates is a sociopath. And, um, It would be great if my life wasn't being influenced by that man's ambitions. That could be one thing. But also, at least when I see some of these billionaires and trillionaires and whatever, how much is enough? Are they addicted to the idea of making money? What do you do with it? Okay, people set up terrible foundations, so on and so forth. But how many millions or billions is enough? I like how he he says terrible foundations (laughs) because they're all just horribly corrupt. (laughs) They need to be disbanded. You know, but it's just one of those things. It's like, do they get addicted to, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Greed is good. And okay, there are those out there with that mentality. Oh, this isn't enough. I need more. I need more. I need more. Well, how much more of the pie can you get before there's nothing left for anybody else? You know, I mean, some of these people's value, I can't comprehend. How much money is that? I know there's words for it, but when you try to visualize it, is it an armored car? Is it a warehouse? Is it a passenger liner full of money? That that's my issue with it. I just can't comprehend that much money in terms of a looking at a physical pile. How much money is that? I don't I don't think it's necessarily a pile of money. I mean, they've got all the money. They don't care about that. So I mean, no, they're, I, no they're... I understand that, but com- the comprehension value. I mean, I, there's no reference point for common folk when you're talking billions and billions and billions. For a lot of people, do I have enough for rent this week? Can I pay food? You know, can I pay my medical bills? That's the everyday reality for a lot of people in the world. And these people aren't, Johnny's right, they're not concerned really about the money. Once they don't have to worry about their offspring ever having to work or earn money themselves, and they've got the big house in the country and all the cars that they could possibly ever want and those sorts of things and the private jets and the yachts, all they want then is power and influence. I've mentioned it before, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're all driven right at the base level of the hierarchy uh, to have shelter, food, then to procreate. Then you get up to the point of self-actualization, being all you can be. When you've got billions at your command, you can be anything you want to be. And that I think that's the problem. Um, most people just want to be happy, but these people are wired differently and want to be in charge and have influence over the masses. And that's a big problem. On that point, uh, since we're talking about that, Marty, did you catch uh, Facebook, uh, the campaign that they're rolling out? Since we're talking about Gates and, and his sick, you know, whatever, and you got Pfizer coming out now saying that you need uh, three of these things and they're shutting down Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. And <laughs> you saw the video I posted today of the, uh, the, the, uh, the Danish health minister. They're up there having the press conference and she falls over right there in the press conference about uh, the COVID vaccine. So there's someone who's been overworking by the looks yeah. of it. Have you have you heard about this this campaign that's being pushed in the UK with Facebook in the NHS to get people vaccinated? We played it yesterday. I don't know if you've heard it, though. Uh, when I was offered my vaccine quite some time ago now, I, I was sent a text message and I had to phone a number to book my vaccine. And if I didn't want it, I was supposed to contact them so that they could know. Uh, I did, and I've heard nothing else, whereas other people have been chased and constantly phoned and constantly reminded. And I'm just wondering how they're picking who they're pestering. And I I haven't, I've, I've seen on Facebook, it says, add this border to your profile picture which is basically saying I've had the vaccine to protect my family or something along those lines. I immediately deleted that and made sure I didn't do it, you know, accidentally support it. In fact, this weekend, I'll be taking the business cards, the Dynamic Independence business cards out. This will be my first chance to go and walk around a park uh, with people uh, who are like-minded on Sunday in a local park near where I live, and you, you've you've got to wear a hint of yellow so that you can be identified as a thinking person as oh. opposed to a sheeple. Oh, okay, I got you. I got you. Yeah. So, so you know, you, you don't want people going up and having chats and and you know reaffirming each other's 
take on this whole thing with people who are sheeple because then you're likely to get into trouble. But I'm looking forward to that. I want to see how it goes. Well, I want to play this real quick. This is uh, we played this yesterday, but I want to play it again so you can uh, so you can follow it here for what I'm referencing. This is an employee of Facebook who is over this campaign that she's working with Facebook in collaboration with the NHS to get people vaccinated on on Facebook. And this is this would explain the uh, the banner that you're seeing. Let's take a listen to this. Hello, I'm Nicola Mendelson from Facebook. The NHS is doing an incredible job getting us vaccinated against COVID-19. And we at Facebook want to do all that we can to support and to help to raise awareness. So I'm excited to share that we're promoting a series of new NHS profile frames on Facebook in the UK. From today, you can add a frame to your Facebook profile picture to let your friends know that you've been vaccinated or that you plan to be. And I promise you, the frames look great. And we've also got some fantastic NHS stickers for you to be able to add onto your stories on Facebook and Instagram. So why not share your support for the NHS vaccination drive by giving them a try? Stay safe, everyone. I feel like I'm being sold a Coca-Cola when I see that. Uh, look, we, we've, we've, it's our own fault. We shouldn't have let it happen to us. But we are like Pavlov's dogs. When we hear a bell ringing, we salivate. And uh, we have become so prone to advertising, any kind of advertising, the, these cheerful little jingles in the background. And it's time to stop. It's time to sort of make your own decisions based on facts rather than a pitch, a sales pitch. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I won't be playing their game. Oh, but they want you to. They they want you to, Marty. They 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 made those banners for you and everything. Are you know to show your support for the NHS and for keeping your family have you, safe. Have, have you got the bleep button ready? I do, because they can stick their <laughs> banners up there until it can't come down again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, Marty, for brightening my day. You're welcome. <laughs> it's the least I can do. Oh. No, but going back to a point you, you made earlier on, Tavish, about why do these people, what is their drive? You know, the, our, our billionaires, our Klaus Schwab's, our Bill Gates, our George Soros's. Have you ever been on stage? Have you ever done a, a high school production or an amateur dramatics production? Anything like that? I I won't date myself, but... In school, I did several plays, or I was the announcer for several plays. So yes, I, I have a little experience with that. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Yeah. Don't you don't you also do? Uh, haven't you done LARPing before? Uh, medieval stuff, like Renaissance fairs and stuff too. Actually, yeah, I forgot about that. I have done that. So yes, I, I do have experience with that. Well, when you um, get that kind of reaction or get get a good reaction from an audience, whether it's a <gasps> Because, you know, the, the tension or if, if it's a belly laugh because you've just delivered a funny line perfectly or whether it's abject silence because the piece you are performing is so dramatic, you get a buzz. There's no two ways about it. And I would liken that buzz that you get when you're, you know, acting rush. And, and doing. Yeah, you get a rush. And th- this is what these hats. These utter cockwombles like Gates, Soros, and um, Bezos, and all those ending os. Don't forget um, about dear old Klaus. Klaus with could end in os, Klaus. Um, yeah, all them. They 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 get a buzz out of having influence. Now, there's there's nothing harmful, in my humble opinion, from an actor or a comedian getting a good reaction from an audience. Um, unless it's some kind of left-wing liberal snowflakey message that they're delivering, in which case it's terrible. But there's no harm in getting a good reaction from an audience. But there is harm when your buzz comes from influencing the way people think so that they fit your agenda and not the one that would best suit them. I think that's that's what the problem is. Well said, sir. I would well said. I would go a step further and say, uh, not not just uh, what's best for them, but what they choose, whether it's good or bad for them. Well, yeah, I again, I haven't researched it as deeply as I should have, but I've just taken it for granted that Bill Gates' dad was a, a eugenicist, and you listen to what your parents say, you are shaped by your parents. There's a poem 
It's it's an it, it, I think it was written in 1927, and it was it's called "They f you up, your mum and dad." Okay, and it starts like like that. They f you up, your mum and dad. They don't mean to, but they do. They give you the faults that were theirs and some of your own just for you because they in their turn were messed up by people in old-style hats and coats who half the time were stroppy stern and half at each other's throats. Um, Man passes on his misery to man. It deepens like the continental shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have kids yourself. So... We're shaped by our parents, I think is what that poem is saying. And I believe Gates was shaped by his father's views and eugenics broadly discredited because of the Nazis, because of Mengele and and all those things. And yet we are letting this man influence us and decide what goes into our bodies. Not a good idea. And we we also have people like uh, Klaus Schwab and uh, George Soros, who's... uh... What era did they live in? Uh, they the lived through the Second time. World War, and uh, of course, yeah. um, uh-huh. Soros was known as a Juden rat. He's, yeah. As a Hungarian Jew, he pretended to be Christian mm-hmm. uh, and pointed out Jewish families uh, to the Nazis so that they could be taken away and exterminated. Yeah, yeah we're actually working Schwab's. on audio of that at the moment. Uh, we're we're going to be having that on queue on demand in the coming days we we found some bruce so graciously found some of the old clips that have been removed from the internet uh so we're going to keep those on hand so yeah so that's not forgotten yeah and um you you also have schwab who was um he was a child during the time of the nazis but uh nonetheless his family seemed to be sympathizers to that so uh not Um, only that his father was involved in the nazi nuclear program uh so yeah there there is that so he wound up in the U.S. via Operation Paperclip, did he? Who, Schwab? No, Schwab's father. Oh, Schwab's father. Uh, it's entirely possible. I, I don't really know. Uh, there were upwards of, I think, 50,000 of uh, the top Nazi scientists that we took in. You had some notable names in there, such as, you know, Werner von Braun, who founded NASA and all the rest of it. Uh, so there was when, that. When Tavish and I were in green before I got into blue... The thing that we were most scared of from the Russians wasn't the nuclear threat because you wouldn't know much about that and it'd all be over before you got a chance. You you know, you you're gone, you're vaporized in seconds. It was the chemical threat. And um when the Soviets went into Berlin um during the Second World War and the Allies were coming from the other side, it just so happened that the electronics and nuclear uh, universities and places of study were in the West, and the chemical and biological study universities were in the East. And so, all those scientists that were working on the German, you know, weapons of mass destruction and uh, you know, nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons were almost evenly divided between the two superpowers. So, um, you know, there's always an element of guilt. They should have all been put on trial, but they weren't. They were they were taken away and used to, to develop weapons in the East and the West. Tavis, you want to give a final thought? And then, uh, Marty, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Iran and their uh, nuclear program. Tavis, your final thought before you have to go. No, I was going to say, Marty was very correct, not only on the weapons, but look at our current space programs around the world. How many of those had their birthplace from the scientists that got divided between East and West? One other thing I just want to touch on that I haven't heard yet. I also think that part of this Ukrainian thing is to take the pressure off Putin at home when you look at how many demonstrations have been going on over the last months because of uh, his crackdowns, detainee, uh, detention of uh, opposition leaders, so on and so forth. So it's a way to rally the troops back home and cut down on that opposition. But um, other than that, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Buddy, take care of yourself, sir. Good luck with your fishing boat. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully in the water by May. Thank you, mate. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for being here today, Travis. Really appreciate that. No problem. Gentlemen, you all have a good night. I've got a bounce. So take care, guys. We'll see you soon. And there he goes. Right. I wanted to spend a couple of minutes here at the end uh, talking to you about uh, Iran's uh, nuclear enrichment program. Uh, This came in this morning. Uh, They're saying that uh, Iran may start enrichment of uranium to 90%, which is weapons grade at its discretion. President Rouhani warns as nuclear uh, JCPOA talks are set to resume in Vienna, Austria today. How, how much of a concern is, is that? 
in your humble opinion, for the region over there? Because every other nation around there, the Saudis, obviously the ones in the United Arab Emirates, the Israelis, I mean, they're, they're all against a nuclear Iran. So th- this is uh, this is not good. This is rhetoric. W- w- what is this, in your humble opinion? I'm not terribly well informed, but I would say this is exactly the same as this opportunism from Putin, the opportunism from um, Mr. Ping, and they will keep pushing. They they want to be, or you know, their leadership wants Iran to be a force in the region, and if they do it then I am pretty convinced that they will use it because it's not a country led by politicians. It's not a country led by, you know, the plutocracy. It's not a country led by rich people. It's a country led by fundamental Islamists. And they see, the the Ayatollahs, the Mullahs, see Israel as an absolute insult to Islam. So... We can't let it happen. They will push and push and try and try. Like Tavish was saying earlier on, take a step, take another step, take a big step. And we've got to stop worrying about uh, a virus with a 99.73, you know, fatality rate. No, we've survivability, got st- right? Oh, yeah, sorry, you're right. I, I was, I was going to say, if it was I the think, other way around, we, we might not be having I this conversation. That, I think that's what Bill Gates meant it to be right, when, right. He, when he paid for it to be produced. Of course, I've got no evidence for that. Um, <laughs> we do. Fauci, not Gates, but Fauci. Yeah, yeah, but who paid him? Right. Um, he sits on Gates' board, actually, for his foundation. So, I mean, you're trying well, to... Well, yeah. there you go. Means, opportunity, motive. Um, know, I, I actually have something here of Fauci, just real quick on, on that, before I forget. Uh, listen to this. This is Fauci right before President Donald Trump became president of the United States. He was on his way in. Okay, now take a listen to this. The issue of pandemic uh, preparedness. And if there's one message that I want to leave with you today based on my experience, and you'll see that in a moment, is that there is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. And I hope by the end of my relatively short presentation, you will understand why history the history of the last 32 years that I've been the director of NIAID will tell the next administration that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges that their predecessors were faced with. There you go. Well, it's like the prophetess Cassandra, you know, cursed to always uh, prophesize accurately, but never be believed. These people who head up the World Health Organization and uh, is it the CDC and all those other organizations, you will never hear them say openly, oh, there's going to be an outbreak, there's going to be an outbreak, because they haven't got the guts to say it. He does. In fact, <laughs> he just. Yeah, but why did he say it? Why did he say it? He said oh. it in preparation so that people who are listening would be ready to obey the rules and to fall into line and to drink the Kool-Aid. That's why he said it. He didn't say it for any good reason, in my humble opinion, and my humble opinion only. He, what do you call him? Fouch the Slouch. Uh, that's what Mike calls him. Yeah, Fouch the Slouch. I, I call him Fauci the Fascist, but I mean, that's, that's yeah. just me. How long has he been in that same job? 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. He was appointed yeah. under Reagan. And uh, you're telling me there hasn't been a smarter, more informed, better looking, for one thing, because the man is ugly. He He is the sexiest man alive, according to, I think it was GQ magazine. No, no, no. He fell out the ugly tree, hit every branch on the way down. (laughs) Yeah, when you're in in a, a position like that for so long, corruption is bound to happen. Indeed. That is a that is an understatement coming from him. All right. Anything else you got today? Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Right. One of our very first podcasts was all about me arguing with you two about whether free at source healthcare or healthcare insurance was the right way ahead. And before COVID, the NHS in a country of 65 million people, only 1,600 people 
were waiting more than a year for treatment. That has now gone up to something like, and it was on the news this evening, and I want to say 250,000 people are waiting more than a year for treatment. So the NHS, because of this COVID scare. Just so you know, this is out of The Guardian. Take that for what you will. I posted this yesterday. Uh, This is out of The Guardian. They say that 4.6 million people in the UK missed out on hospital treatment in 2020 because of the lockdowns. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm probably one of those people. And, um, you know, to go from only 1,600 people in a country of 65 million uh, to that number you just said, uh, or rather, they're the ones that missed out on some form of treatment. But there are around about 250,000 people now who have been waiting for over a year for treatment. And I think this is all part of the plan. This is part of the plan to uh, discredit the NHS, to say it can't cope with the numbers and uh, another method uh, or other means of healthcare is necessary. And I can see more and more private hospitals, private clinics being opened and all the small businesses that have shut down, leaving large premises that could easily easily uh, accommodate a, a large clinic for some form or, or other, an orthopedic clinic, a diabetes clinic. And I can see us in the very near future being pushed towards private medical healthcare because the NHS will not be able to cope with the numbers. And I said that back then. I said, that's the last thing we want. And you can stick your medical healthcare insurance where the sun don't shine because of the way in which in the US in particular, um, that the pharmaceutical companies overcharge for medicines, the hospitals overcharge because they know that the insurance company is going to haggle about the price and everything gets inflated and conflated. And we don't want that in the UK. Nye Bevan, back in the 50s when he, or late 40s, when he brought in the idea of the NHS, did the best thing he could for this country ever and is to be applauded. But yeah, I just, I just wanted to mention that because it was a piece of news that suddenly triggered something in me. Put a slight spin on that just from um, some of the stuff we talk about. It would stand to reason uh, here in the States, they're trying to uh, they, they want everything privatized because if you can't get it through legally, uh, and, and by that, I mean any of your political agendas, you go to the private sector and you can get it done in the private sector by strong, strong arming the, the populace by social engineering. I, I think that could possibly be a, a situation here uh, with, with the medical them. system. Or, well, yeah, that's, that's part of social engineering. Yeah, you're, you're, you're making them think they're making their own decisions, but you're, you're rigging the game against them, basically. This could easily be something in the same boat here with the NHS. I inherently believe that um, government is terrible at managing anything, so I, I put an element of that on on your government as well uh, for mismanagement. But I, I could I could definitely see a, a plan to try to privatize it, not just to try to make a buck, but to also garner more control for the corporations that would bypass your government's uh, you know laws and everything. So, well, we're we're not we're not um, regulating freedom of speech. We're we're a corporation. We're you know it, it's it's our terms of service. You know we're 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 not. Um, uh, denying healthcare or or health services to people. Uh, it, it, no, we're, we're, we have a rule set. You know, we, we want to encourage better health for you. And if you don't follow those, well, we can't afford to pay for your healthcare because um, whatever. We can uh, we can go on about that all night. Um, yeah. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm I mean I'm happy to, but uh, we don't have to because I know you probably you know need to go. But this is breaking because I said things were coming in fast. This is breaking. This is unconfirmed at the moment. At the moment, sources for the Ukraine coverage received a phone call from a source in the Donbass, which suggesting large amounts of Russian military equipment have crossed the border into uh, occupied territories. So uh, that's but as I said, right now, that's unconfirmed right now. That's just a source telling a source. That's all that's being reported at the moment. Uh, But that's 
supposedly from inside at the moment. Also, this is this is breaking. This is confirmed. British Foreign Office summoned the uh, Russian ambassador this afternoon, which we mentioned. It followed the UK government joining the US today and calling out Moscow over the solar winds hack and other destabilizing activities. Well, again, it's just talk, isn't it? Yes, diplomats are being, you know, dismissed and and sent out of the country, deported from the country. And when you've got no diplomats left, you've only got these back channels. The back channels are always there. And those are the ones that that really make a difference uh, and have actually pulled us back from the brink of war on a number of occasions. So um, all I can say as a finishing note from me is I really hope common sense prevails and that we don't see large-scale conflict in Ukraine. But I honestly don't think Putin is listening because he knows that the threats and the sanctions are fairly empty and ineffectual. So, um, yeah, I, I just hope, you know, beyond hope that it doesn't come to a full-scale war. Uh, I, w- I was seeing reports as I was looking into what you were saying, Johnny, I, I was seeing reports that um, many of the tanks on the borders, uh, uh, the Russian tanks, are um, receiving invasion stripes. Um, apparently, it's a, a, a tradition for them to, before they invade a country, there, there's a specific, uh, almost, almost a, a cross shape that they paint across their tanks uh, over the entire body of the tank um, before they invade. And it's, it's uh, I guess well, it's a tradition. We, 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 with large armored vehicles uh, and, and even smaller, you know, armored personnel carriers and Jeeps. Land Rovers, you always paint an identifying mark on the top so that aircraft, your aircraft, don't shoot at your own people. Obviously, like Tavish said earlier on this evening, they share a lot of the same equipment. The Soviet Union fell, the T-74s, all the old Russian kit that the Ukrainians had, they pretty much kept. And they've probably still been buying equipment from Russia, but probably through another source, because it's the equipment that their people understand and know how to use. So if they are painting identifying marks over the top of the tank, that'll be the reason why. It looks like um, some of the most recent tanks that they have is a uh, a refitted T-84. Yeah. Yeah, I was showing my age with T-74. <laughs> well, I, I knew what a T-74 was. Uh, well, technically, it's a T-72, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're right. We are out of time today. We are going to have to go. Uh, so I want to thank you for being here today, uh, Marty. I know that uh, you were looking forward to today. And I'm actually glad we had both of you and uh, both of you, yourself and Tavish on today. Uh, nice getting the perspective from both of you guys, especially with um, all this crazy stuff. Uh, but we are going to have to go. So uh, thank you guys for being here. So for those of you who have not joined our Telegram channel yet, get over there, get signed up to us. We are mirroring all of our podcasts we're putting out here every day. And we're also putting out an exclusive podcast, which Bruce and I will be on tomorrow. And of course, Marty, you're welcome to join. We might have Ned on tomorrow. Maybe. Don't know. If he decides he wants to come on, it's an open invitation. But uh, yeah. Uh, also, we are running a news feed over there, if you want to call it that. Uh, we're posting articles, photos, videos, things like that. Uh, we also have a comments section. So uh, jump in there. Put your comment down. Get involved. Talk to Marty. He likes the conversation in the comments section, don't you? I do. I do. Mention me by name and you can bet I'll be on it like a cheap suit. Uh-huh. There you go. All right. So, uh, yeah, do get signed up to us over there. Also, if you want to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tipsofdynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, known associates. We are trying to grow as much as possible, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We are available everywhere you get your podcast. Also, if you're rating podcast, if you would give us a rating when you get a chance, that would be fantastic as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, gentlemen, that will do it for today. I want to thank you guys for being here. Thank you to all the listeners. Those of you who are subscribed to us on Telegram, we will see you tomorrow. Everyone else, we will see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Good night, all.